Hi everyone. Welcome to Birmingham Sports and Shorts. Currently COVID negative. So boom. Feels good, Brian. Feels good. But uh yeah, let's hop right into our jersey segment before breaking down the sports week. Um with number thirty-seven, um, not a lot of not a lot of athletes came to mind right away. But you know, I do my research, make sure my numbers are right here, and then it started coming in. So we'll start in baseball, and uh, what better person to start than former Toronto Blue Jays pitcher David Steve Sir David? Like before mentioned, Steve spent his entire career with the Jays, uh, other than one season with the White Sox at the end of his career, where he only played four games, but. He was a J through and through, making seven All-Star games, leading the American League in ERA in 85. He's thrown the only no-hitter in Blue Jays history in 1990 against the Cleveland Indians at the time. It's pretty maddening how he is the only one, actually. In 85, he took a no-hitter into the ninth inning before giving up back-to-back home runs. Then in 88, he was one strike away from a no-hitter and two consecutive starts, and both were broken up on two and two counts by the 27th batter. That's He was that close. And then in 89, he nearly had a perfect game, but it was broken out with two outs in the ninth. So I was happy he was able to get that one in 90. Like He was so close so many times, but... Like a lot of players, you know, injuries slowed Steve down later Later parts of his career. You know, a series of shoulder and back injuries in 91 basically ended his effective pitching years. He'd be released after the 92 season, but he was still awarded a Blue Jays World Series ring, even though he never pitched in the postseason. He's a member of the Blue Jays level of excellence and is in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, but not he's not in Cooperstown, so that's that's weird. I thought with his resume, maybe the injuries hit him too early so his numbers couldn't get to Hall of Fame numbers, but good pitcher for the Blue Jays. Um the next 37 also happens to be a pitcher. This one recently retired. I'm talking about Steven Strasburg. Right out of the gate, tons of pressure on this guy being the first overall pick by the Washington Nationals in the 09 MLB draft. He came out looking good. 32 strikeouts in his first three starts, which was an MLB record. Later that season, he'd go on the disabled list before requiring Tommy John surgery and from there he'd fight injuries his whole career. When he pitched, he pitched well. It was just getting him the pitch. He'd make three All-Star games and lead the NL in strikeouts once and wins once. That year, he led the league in wins. 2019, easily his best year as a professional. He'd help guide the Nationals to a World Series win, winning World Series MVP along the way. And in that postseason, he'd go 5-0, and joining Randy Johnson and Francisco Rodriguez. It's the only pitchers to do that. So when he pitched, he was good. Um his retirement due to injuries has kind of caused a kerfluffle. You know, uh, he had so many injuries, so when he signed a lucrative contract, it was never insured. So as I mentioned on a previous uh, podcast episode, the Nationals are trying to get out of paying that full contract, posting, postponing his retirement press conference till everything's settled. Uh, tough luck for an end-of-career thing, but... Uh, no one can take away that 29 historical season where, you know, he did the ultimate for the club and winning them a World Series. But we'll leave the diamond. We'll go with the gridiron. First, number 37, I thought of works for NBC now. Talking about Rodney Harrison, former Charger and Patriot, was feared in the secondary. For a lot of his, the hits wouldn't be allowed in the game today, you know. Some even thought he went a little far. His peers voted him the dirtiest player in a few Sports Illustrated pools. And uh, regardless, he was one of the best safeties of his time. A great anchor to a fantastic secondary, making two Pro Bowls, two first-team All-Pros, and one second. He's a member of two Super Bowl-winning teams in New England. One scene he probably wishes he's not a part of. We all know the legendary David Tyree catch in Super Bowl Forty Two when Eli chucked it up and Tyree held it against his head as Harrison's frantically trying to hit it away. And that would, you know, help lead to the giant Super Bowl wins. So we probably not pumped to be in that highlight, but Regardless of that play, he's had a fantastic career. He continues to do awesome on NBC. He's part of the 30-30 club, 30 interceptions, 30 sacks with Ray Lewis. <laughs> and he's got the most sacks by a defensive back with 30.5. Um, Next 37 has a resume that's way before my time. But, you know, as we do on sports and shorts of sorts, we honor history. So let's honor Doak Walker. Running back was a beast at SMU where he won the Heisman and three-time All-American. 
37's retired with that university. And uh, his great play would make him the third overall pick by the Lions, where he'd win Rookie of the Year, helping guide the Lions the two championships in 52 and 53. So it was before the Super Bowl era. So, uh, you know, the Lions have still not appeared in a Super Bowl. But, hey, who knows? We'll get more on the Lions later. <laughs> but Walker would make five Pro Bowls, four first-team All-Pros, and his number 37's retired by the Lions. He's a member of the Lions all-time team, and the best running back award in college is named the Dope Walker Award. He passed away in 98 at the age of 71. Um, next NFL player I'll mention is another, is one in the defensive secondary, Pat Fisher with the St. Louis Cardinals. No, not, not the baseball team. And the Washington, they were called the Redskins at the time, the latter being where he's more known. Uh, he made three Pro Bowls, first team All-Pro twice, second team All-Pro twice, one of the first DBs to apply the bump and run technique, you know, where you physically harass the wide receiver at the line of scrimmage. His 56 interceptions have him 18th all time, and he's a member of the commander's ring of fame. So last NFL mention is also someone in the defensive secondary. He's a legend with the Raiders, Lester Hayes, also known for his bump and run coverage. And Gave him the weird nickname, Lester the Molester. Probably, I don't know if you really want that nickname, but for defense, it worked. And uh, he was an integral part of those tough Raider defenses, winning two Super Bowls there. He led the league in interceptions with 13, which is second most in a season. Night Train Lane has the record with 14. And, like, Cade's even won Defensive Player of the Year. So he'd make five Pro Bowls, first team All-Pro and second team. His numbers are there, but the one thing people have against him was his copious use of stickum. You see pictures. He rubbed it on his arms, his hands, his jersey. He was more stickum than man at times. But uh, he only had 14 picks pre-stickum ban and 25 after. So I don't know. A lot of people hold that against him. Fred Boletnikov and Jerry Rice, you know, they were known to use stickum at some point. And they're in the Hall of Fame, so... I'm hoping Lester, Lester Hayes can get into the Hall of Fame because his numbers were pretty good after Stickham was banned. It's just when you're the guy known for it, it kind of goes against you. We'll see what happens. I hope he gets in in his lifetime here. But uh, from the football field to the hockey rink, 37, you think of former Bruins captain who just retired, Patrice Bergeron, spending his entire career in Beantown, you know. I imagine he'll get his number retired there. Member of the 2011 Stanley Cup team. Three all-star games over his career and has the record for most Frank J. Selke trophies with six. And he holds the record for longest streak ever for being nominated for that award at 12 consecutive seasons. That's the award most, it's given to a forward who demonstrates the most skill in the defensive area of the game. So the fact he's nominated that time just shows you how good of a two-point player he is. And he'd also win two Olympic gold medals with the Canadian national team. Next hockey player I'll mention wore two different jersey numbers, but I'm selecting him because he captained my childhood team, the Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> and uh, I'm talking Eric Desjardins. He played with the Canadians and wore 28, but when he went to the Flyers, he rocked the 37 his whole time there. And he's, he was considered one of the best defensemen in the game at the time, more for defensive purposes, not for his offensive game. But he'd make three All-Star games and he'd win a Stanley Cup while he was in Montreal. And in, on that that run there with Montreal in the final, he scored a hat-trick, and to this day, he's the only defenseman to do that in the Stanley Cup final, so good on him. Last NHLer I'll mention, he's a goalie. We've had forward defender. Let's have a goaltender. And this one, cool nickname. I like things that rhyme. Ole the goalie. We're talking German national, Olaf Kohlzig. Spent most of his time with the Washington Capitals and still holds a lot of their records, you know, like games played, wins, losses, tied, most goals allowed, probably don't want that one, and most shutouts. Uh, two All-Star games over his career. His best season probably came in 2000 when he won a Vesna Trophy. Never won a Stanley Cup as a player, but he'd earned one as a coaching staff member with the 2018 Washington Capitals. He's still a goaltending coach and player development coach with the Capitals, and Going to the NBA, it was a tricky one. There wasn't a lot that came to mind, but, you know, I've been watching tons of basketball, which is why I also have another podcast where <laughs> I just talk basketball. If you guys are interested in that, check out my page. But, yeah, for 37 here, Matt Ryan. No, not the not the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, but the sharpshooter. You might remember him with his brief stint with the Lakers and the Timberwolves. He's on a two-way contract with the Pelicans now, and he's helping them with some shooting there with C.J. McCollum out. So, 
pretty good shooter. Keep your eye on him. The only other one that came to mind was Semi Ojale. I remember him briefly with his time with the Celtics. He wore 37. He's balling in Europe right now, hoping to make it back in the NBA. But, yeah, that was it for the NBA in 37. So, yeah, if you're looking to make a name for yourself, that number is open. <laughs> That's it for the jerseys. Let's hop into the wild week of sports here, starting with the NFL. And before we even get on the field, there was some big talk about Carissa Thompson. She used to be a sideline reporter for Fox, and she now works for Amazon and Thursday Night Football. And she was on a podcast, and she caused some outrage here because she basically said in times where she couldn't talk to a coach or something, she'd just make up a story, totally fabricate, you know, something basic that all coaches probably say and go from there. This caused some backlash because, you know, people in the journalistic world, you never want to say that you make up stuff. Way to denounce your credibility to the entire world in one swoop. And a lot of people are like, you know, this isn't a big deal. Like, what what does the sideline reporters do? I know in our world now where we have cell phones and you have all the knowledge that you can look up. Oh, homeboy's injured. You check it half and stuff. Before the sideline reporter, she talked to the coaches and get us that information. They still do right on the field as it happens, but the information they get from coaches and whatnot going in the half, I still think it's valuable and should be said, and the fact that she said she fabricates it, it's getting a lot of backlash from her peers and people in the industry, which I think it's fair, because you're just throwing them all under the bus, but I've talked to people, and they say it's not really a big story to them, and that they don't really see the information as important, I don't know, from a journalistic standpoint, you should stand by what you do and what you say but we'll see what happens with this i can't imagine he's getting a lot of christmas cards after that but <laughs> going to the football field we had a big matchup leading into on thursday night between the Bengals and ravens but man it would take some injury turns first you have mark andrews one of the best tight ends in the nfl high ankle injury and he'd leave the game it would be announced he's done for the season he's one of uh, lamar jackson's favorite receivers so We'll see how that plays going forward. And then Joe Burrow, I guess he's been nursing a wrist injury, which was never put in the report, which has caused a stink with the NFL. But anyway, you could tell he was hurt there. And he'd throw a pass for a touchdown, but you could tell he was, like, screaming. And uh, he went to the bench, and he went to try to practice, and his wrist would just flop. It was kind of hard to watch. You're like, man, he needs that to throw the ball. <laughs> So, yeah, it was announced after the game, torn ligament in his right wrist. He will miss the remainder of the season. Huge loss for the Bengals. And this this game had a weird stoppage, an administration stoppage, the rest called it, as there was a drone above the field and they had to get rid of it. But after all these injuries, there was still football to be played. The Ravens, they had Lamar Jackson throw two touchdowns. Gus Edwards had two touchdown run-ins. Odell Beckham, another 100-yard game for him. He's starting to look like his old self. And is this now the brief Jake Browning era in Cincinnati as he replaces the Bengals quarterback going forward? Going forward, This team's in trouble, you know. Their defense isn't very good. The only reason they could stay in games was Burrow was lighting it up. So Browning's got his work come out for him. And for the Ravens, you know, they're trending in the right direction. But that Mark Andrews injury, that's huge. We'll see what the how the Ravens overcome that going forward. But Sunday we had some big games, you know, nice divisional matchup between the Browns and Steelers. More quarterback news there as Deshaun Watson underwent season-ending surgery during the week on a broken bone in his throwing shoulder. So he's done for the year. So you put on a little DTR to play with your CCR, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson got the start. And, you know, it. This <laughs> there wasn't a lot of scoring in this game. You'd have Jerome Ford putting the Browns ahead early. The field goal would have them up 10-0 in halftime. Steelers offense again under Matt Canada. I don't they're struggling. They I know they're playing a really good defense, but they'd get on the board when they'd hit Jalen Warren for a 74-yard touchdown run. You know, if they can get a big play, they're in the game. They get a field goal, we'd be tied up. But DTR would lead the Browns in the field goal range. Dustin Hopkins would knock it through with two seconds to go. Another game where the Steelers were out-yarded by their opponents, but this time they lose. Browns take the win, and the Steelers, geez, mediocre on offense again. What's going to be the move? Does Matt Canada go? Does Trey and Parker bring up the Blame Canada song? Or uh, do you change Kenny Pickett? Bring in the Trubisky show? I don't know. We'll see what Pittsburgh does, because... 
they're saying they're winning games, but they've been a bunch of squeakers, and now the squeak ran out here. DTR gets the win. He was emotional after the game. He's getting his first career NFL win. He's worked hard to get to that point. Congrats to him. It's easier to root for DTR than it is for Deshaun Watson in my book, but that's just me personally. Um, Raiders-Dolphins, this was a big one. Tyreek Hill. The cheetah, when he caught the ball, like when you look at the picture, there's four defenders there, but they he, none of them touched him. He just right to the end zone for the score, gave the Dolphins the lead. Aiden O'Connell, huck it, chuck at football, went deep for Devontae Adams, who would score to put the Raiders ahead. And there were a few injury scares in this one. Tyreek Hill would leave the game, but he'd come back, which was good, but... The running back, A-Chain, would leave for the Dolphins, and he would not return. His replacement, Ahmed, would catch a pass from Tua to put the Dolphins ahead again. We'd have some field goals exchanged, and the Raiders were down seven with a chance to tie it up. Aiden O'Connell's huck and chuck it technique didn't work on this one as he tried to force it in the two, maybe three defenders in the area on Devontae Adams, and Jalen Ramsey would get his second interception of the game. He's really helped the Dolphins since he's come back from injury. Dolphins get the big win, and these were learning experiences for rookie aid. No criminal. I mean, more promising than Jimmy G was looking, so it is what it is. Justin Fields made his return to the lineup uh, after missing a few weeks for due to injury, and he'd spark the Bears. On their opening drive, Deontay Foreman would get a one-yard touchdown to put the Bears ahead. The Lions would answer with a Jameer Gibbs touchdown run, and then an Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown, and they were leading at half. Chicago would answer with, what, this pinpoint throw by Justin Fields to DJ Moore. It's why they say, let's stick with Fields, throws like that. And after some Cairo Santos field goals, Bears were up 26-14 with 4.15 to go. Upset City, right? Well, Goff would hit Jamison Williams on a big, wide-open touchdown pass. Lions would get the ball right back. And then former Bear, David Montgomery, he'd punch one in from the one-yard line and put the Lions back ahead with 29 seconds to go. Fields would get the ball. Oh, I guess the Lions would convert their two-point conversion as well. So it's a three-point game, a tie with a field goal, right? So Fields gets the ball. It's like, I can go down the field. Let's tie this up. Unreal pressure would get to him. He'd fumble. The ball would go into the old end zone, out of bounds. Safety for the Lions. Huge improbable win. Like I said, they were now 12 with 4.15 to go in the game, and they win. First time the Lions are 8-2 since 1962. This is crazy. I was talking about Doak back in the day, that legend for the Lions in the jersey segment. He was around before this time. That's that's how old we're going here. <laughs> so good on the Lions. They're in my division with the Packers, but, you know, i got to give credit where it's due. It's hard to hate on Campbell and the Lions. Um, Titans-Jaguars, you had an AFC South battle, and it was kind of one-sided. Trevor Lawrence was cooking for the Jaguars. It would be 27-0 until the Titans got on the board. Lawrence already had a touchdown run in, and he'd thrown two to Calvin Ridley at this point. But the Titans did some little trickery, a little fake reverse, ended back in Will Levis's hand. The rookie chucked it deep for DeAndre Hopkins. Big touchdown for them. Trevor Lawrence would respond with another rushing touchdown. And then Will Levis would hit the defensive lineman, Jeffrey Simmons, for a touchdown. You know, he's one of the highest usage defensive players in the league. So, yeah, throw him on offense. Why not give him a shot? Nice little touchdown for him. I like how they call it the thick six, you know, because he's a big man getting the ball. But... Yeah, big win for the Jaguars. They're a nice bounce back for them to make sure they look as good as they do in the division. Wild to think that we have the Charger or the, sorry, the Jaguars and the Lions dominating their divisions right now. It's a wild world we live in. If you would have said this three or four years ago, you'd be like, wait, what? But uh, yeah, we'll go to the Chargers Packers. Not a good start for Chargers fans or NFL fans. Joey Bosa. Tense lineman for the Chargers was taken off on a cart. Not a good look. We'll find out more on his injury. Jaden Reed would take a reverse 32 yards, but the Packers ahead. And we all know the Chargers offense is all those injuries, but Herbert would bomb bomb one to Stone get smart, and he'd run 51 yards for the touchdown, putting them ahead. Then late in the third, Jordan Love would hit Christian Watson to put the Packers ahead. Herbert would respond by going down the field and finally converting in the red zone when he'd hit Keenan Allen to put the Chargers up in the fourth. And then Jordan Love, finally, going down the field, hitting Romeo Dubs, Dobby, Romeo Dobbs on a great throw to put the Packers ahead. Herbert would get another chance, but on fourth and one, he'd get it swatted down at the line by Kenny Clark. So 
big win for the Packers and another another tough loss for the Chargers. After the game, people were in the press were asking Staley, are you still going to be calling defenses and whatnot? He's like, yes, I am. For the last time, stop asking this question. It's done. So, yeah, I think he's a little pissed about the whole thing. <laughs> Cardinals and Texans. Arizona started this one with a bang when Kyler Murray skied one to Rondale Moore for a 48-yard touchdown. Moore's first touchdown catch of the year, as well as Murray's first throw of the year. Stroud answered that by hitting Dalton Schultz for a touchdown. And then the second quarter, Singletary would run one in for the Texans. And then Stroud would hit Tank Dell for 41 yards just before <laughs> halftime. Kyler Murray would show it off that heel to ACL when he was scampering around like crazy before running in the short touchdown run. They wouldn't get the two-point conversion and find themselves down five. That's as close as they get. Houston takes another victory. It was the worst game pick-wise for the number two overall pick, but C.J. Stroud still, he does get the job done, you know. You're going to throw three picks eventually, especially as a rookie. So the fact they did it, they still got the win. That's a definite win. <laughs> Cowboys and Panthers, you had the number one overall pick in this one, and this one didn't really go its way. Cowboys would go up early when Prescott would hit Luke Schoonmaker. The rookie tight end would get the catch and put the Cowboys ahead. And then just before halftime, Dak would hit CeeDee Lamb for a touchdown. Then the third, the Panthers made it a little interesting when Bryce Young would hit Tommy Tremble for a touchdown. 17-10, you're like, okay, it's close. Then early in the fourth, Tony Pollard looked like Jerome Bettis running a 21-yard touchdown in, battering through people. And Bryce Young could feel the pressure. He's like, all right, number one pick. I got to get my team back in the game. Throw a bad pick six to Deron Bland, who would return it to Pater for the fourth time this season, tying the record for most pick sixes in a year. And there's still seven games to go. He shares that record now with Eagles' Eric Allen, Chiefs' Jim Kearney, and Oilers' Ken Houston. So... He now shares a record with those guys. And like I said, he's got seven games to try to break that record. Easy win for the Cowboys. You had another NFC East battle here with the Giants and Commanders. And Tommy DeVito was looking pretty good. He'd hit Saquon Barkley. A nice touchdown pass where Saquon was showing off the footwork. Then uh, you'd have DeVito getting sacked five times in the first quarter. Okay. All he'd do in the next quarter hit Darius Slayton, 40-yard touchdown score. Sam Howell would run one in just before halftime. It looked like he was in. It wasn't initially called a touchdown, so his second effort, he was definitely in. But in that second effort, he took a big hit, prompting like a shitstorm scuffle to start. There'd be foul, like flags thrown. There'd be personal fouls. There'd be ejections. And then Washington would follow that all up by missing the extra point. You go to the second half, DeVito hitting Barkley again for another touchdown pass. And then Howell would hit Dotson for a touchdown with just over two minutes to go to keep Washington alive. They'd get the bat ball back. Sam Howell would try to delete it. He'd get some pressure on him, which he always seems to have on him. But instead of throwing it away, he'd throw a bad interception, which would be returned for a touchdown by Isaiah Simmons, a pick six for the Giants. Big win for the Giants and DeVito. Tough loss for Washington. That's you look at the numbers and you're like, how how do they end up losing this? But I don't know, Sam Howell, he puts up numbers but throws bad picks. He's like a Carson Wentz kind of character, but oof, tough one for them. You had the 49ers and the Buccaneers, and San Fran would open the scoring when Purdy, Brock Purdy would hit Christian McCaffrey for the touchdown, ending CMC's long touchdown drought of one game with him not scoring last week. Then Tampa Bay would get on the board when Baker Mayfield would hit Mike Evans for a touchdown. Then early in the second half, you'd have Brock Purdy chucking one deep for Brandon Ayuk. The defender would misplay it so bad in the air. It'd be an easy touchdown. Kittle would get a touchdown pass later, making a three-possession game. Then you'd have Rashad White making a sick juke on Talona Hafanga. The only problem was in his sick juke, it looked nice. You're like, oh, ankle breaker, but Hafanga tore his ACL. That safety is very important to the 49ers defense, so... Big loss for them. White would score later on the drive, and then, you know, the Bucks would get the ball back, looking to make it a one-possession game, but a tip ball would lead to Baker Mayfield getting intercepted. 49ers get the win. Tough injury in the game, but they'll take another win there. We had Jets and Bills get our first look at this Bills offense without recently fired coordinator Ken Dorsey. Kind of took the fall after the Bills' Monday night football loss to the Broncos, and the Jets' defense was holding this Bills team the field goals. Then in the second quarter, Zach Wilson would throw a bad intercept, 
option, at least the Josh, lead the Josh Allen going down the field and hitting James Cook out of the backfield for the first touchdown of the day. And you get a really scary incident in this game. Two Bills collided making a tackle. Taylor Rapp, he jumped up right away, was shaking it off while Teron Johnson was getting looked at. Then all of a sudden, Rap after he jumped up and whatnot, would just, like, fall to the ground. It did not look good. Ambulance had to come on the field, pick him up. They took him to the hospital. I guess he's okay. But a really scary scene, especially in front of DeMar Hamlin, who basically died on the field last year. And then the camera was, like, zooming in on his face for his reaction and all this. I don't know if that was really, I don't know, a good move by the broadcasting team. But I guess do what you got to do. And, uh, yeah, the game would have to continue after this. And... Zach Wilson, best way to score touchdowns, throw short passes to Brees Hall. That's what he did, and Hall would score. And this is a 10-point game despite everything the Bills were doing. And uh, that touchdown by Hall would end a 13-quarter drought by the Jets' offense, so pretty bad. And considering on that drive they had to go for it on fourth down, and Thomas Morstead completed a completion of the punter, not the best look for your offense. Um, yeah, you know, the Bills would get two more touchdown passes, Allen, 28-yarder to Ty Johnson, and then an 81-yard bomb to Khalil Shakir. Wilson continued to play like crap and would get benched for Tim Boyle. Big win for the Bills, and, man, just another tough one for the Jets. Their defense can only keep them in games for so long, and you have to think Zach Wilson is not starting next game for the Jets. But we'll see what uh, what Salah does on this one. Go to Seahawks-Rams, NFC West battle. You had Geno Smith rifling one of the DK Metcalf to get the Seahawks up early. Kenneth Walker, their beast of a running back, left the game. He wouldn't come back. Then the Rams would get an injury of their own when Cooper Cup would leave the game and not come back. And then the Rams would get their first touchdown of the game just before halftime when Puka Nakua would get a touchdown pass from Matthew Stafford. You'd get some Seattle field goals. But then you'd have Geno Smith leaving the game with an apparent elbow injury. Not a good, not good for the Seahawks. Because then you'd have Daryl Henderson Jr. running one in, making a two-point game. All, all Drew Lock had to come in was kill the game, try to run it, you know, make smart plays, end the game, get the win. But he'd throw a bad interception, and the Rams would go down the field. And recently signed kicker Lucas Haverisic hit a field goal with 91 seconds to go to put the Rams ahead. And I don't know if we're just watching Locke play bad quarterback, healed himself, but Geno Smith was warming that elbow up, and he was able to come back in the game. He got Seahawks down the field, but still left a 55-yarder for Jason Myers, and he'd kick it. It would come up short and right. Unlikely win for the Rams. You know, Seahawks should have had this one. Drew Locke can't be feeling very good. He came in and let his team down, really. And then you'd have the Sunday nighter, Vikings-Broncos. If you like field goals, this was right up your alley. The pastronaut, Joshua Dobbs, would hit Oliver for first touchdown of the game to put the Vikings up. But Will Lutz kept the Broncos in it, and it was 10-9 at halftime. Dobbs would then run one in to put the Vikings up 17-9. A few more Lutz field goals for the Broncos, and then you'd have Minnesota getting one. And you'd have a five-point game with 3-17 to go. But then Russell, last name Wilson, turned on hero mode and went down the field and got a touchdown, hitting Cortland Sutton for the 15-yard touchdown pass, giving the Broncos the lead, ultimately the win. So all those haters on Russell right now, you might need to back up on that because he's getting wins done in crunch time. It's not always the biggest wow game, but he's getting wins. That's the main W you want, so... That leaves the Monday nighter to end the week. You got Eagles and Chiefs. Could be the game of the weekend. Rematch of last year's Super Bowl. Both teams are top contenders in their conferences. Andy Reid's got his history with the Eagles. So should be a pretty good game. And I'm thinking it's going to come down to the wires and the Eagles should win. Jason will beat Travis in the Kelsey Bowl. And uh, I don't know what the over-under is on Taylor Swift mentions during the game. But I imagine there'll be a bunch. And, hey, let's let's jump right in the CFL. We had the Grey Cup going on in Hamilton. And, wow, what a game. We had the, I haven't always covered the CFL a lot in here, but they they had a great game for the Grey Cup here. You had the Blow Bombers in their fourth straight Grey Cup appearance, looking to avenge last year, taking on the Montreal Alouettes. First time these two teams met in the Grey Cup, which is pretty wild, considering the history and how little teams are in the league. You thought it would have happened once, but... Uh, yeah, first time, and Winnipeg's Brady Oliveira showed us why he's the best running back all year, running in the first touchdown of the Great Cup. The Owls would respond quickly when William Stanback ran one in from 32 yards, 
And then backup quarterback Dakota Prukop would score on a quarterback sneak to put increase the Bombers' lead. And then uh, just for halftime, third and one, the Alouettes would try a sneak of their own to make things a little closer at half, but they'd get stuffed at the line. The Bombers would lead at 10 going into halftime. Well, I guess Green, Green Day went out and killed it. I, I didn't watch it live or anything. I watched it after. They put on a pretty good show, so pretty impressive halftime show for Green Day and the, the CFL, I guess. But, uh, yeah, Montreal's Cody Fajardo would hit speaker on a touchdown pass to cut the Bombers' lead to three. Then the Bombers were looking to answer that, but Caleros would get picked off in the end zone. Then the fourth quarter, Fajardo, Cody Fajardo would hit former Ohio State Buckeye Austin Mack on a bubble screen. He'd follow his blocking, get right in the end zone, and Montreal would be ahead for the first time in this game. But Caleros would lead the Bombers down the field. And Prukope again, that backup quarterback sneak, it's effective. They got in again, putting the Bombers up three with over five minutes to go. After a few exchanges of the ball, Montreal would be running out of time, and they'd have the ball at Winnipeg's 50-yard line, third and five, 41 seconds to go. They need a first down, and the game's over. And Cody Fajardo just chucks it deep, right to Speaker, who made this crazy big catch, putting Montreal in field goal range. You're like, okay, well, at least they can get a field goal. Then Fajardo would throw a strike to Tyson Philpott in the end zone. What a play. Catching the ball with 11 seconds left, clinching the Grey Cup for the Alouettes, their first Grey Cup in 13 years. And, of course, former Saskatchewan Rough Rider Cody Fajardo winning MOP of the game, like... Man, congrats to them. Congrats to Fajardo. Like, what a win. There's a lot of different riders involved in this win. So, yeah, it's tough to see it as a riders guy. You're like, hey, why, why are our former guys winning? But, you know, Cody Fajardo played a hell of a game, the biggest game of the year. So, congrats to the Alouettes on their great cup win. Um, F1. Pretty rough start to the expense of Las Vegas Grand Prix, the first ever in Formula One. Practice had to be stopped only after eight minutes. Ferrari's Carlos Sainz hit a drain cover, causing tons of damage to the car. They had to stop it, fix everything up. He had to make drastic changes to the car, including taking on a third new energy store for the season. And that exceeds the limit of two. So there'd be a 10-place grid penalty for Sainz, even though he hit something that was wrong with the track. I thought that was kind of shitty, but uh, the rules are the rules. And all those fans who spent money to watch the practice had to get sent away. It was reported they were given $200 credit following the fiasco, but that credit could only be used at the merchandise stores, where most items are around 180 bucks. So I, I don't know if that evens out. And uh, there was drama and qualifying. Verstappen and Esteban Ocon almost hit each other, prompting Max to call the Frenchman a stupid idiot. Ferrari would qualify 1-2 with Leclerc getting the pole, but remember, Sainz would have that 10-spot penalty, so we'd have to get moved back. You'd have Verstappen and George Russell in third and fourth, and Logan Sargent had the best qualifying of his young F1 career. The F1, excuse me, the American had went in the third qualifying, so good on him. The race would go down on Saturday night, a night race. It was late. <laughs> No surprise, Mac Verstappen won again, 18th of the season. It wasn't as easy as some of the other races he's won this year, I guess, but uh, he still won it. He'd get a five-second penalty right near the start of the race for pushing Leclerc off the track. Like I said, he'd overcome that. Leclerc would finish second. Max's Red Bull teammate, Sergio Perez, would round out the podium. Good finishes for Esteban Ocon and Lance Stroll, who finished fourth and fifth, and it was an exciting race, but there was a lot of a lot of criticism about the inaugural race in Vegas. Uh, Verstappen called it more of a show than a race, and he used the footy analogy comparing this Vegas track to the National League, where Wrexham originally was in, with the beginning of their story, while Monaco was the Champions League, the top level of footy, so... It's a pretty big insult right there. There's one race left in the season. The Abu Dhabi GP will be going down November 26th, and then that'll be it for F1 this year. The NHL, well, we'll start out of the NHL. Big announcement in hockey overseas. The man who was involved in that tragic on-ice incident that took the life of Adam Johnson, he's been arrested for suspension of manslaughter. There were a lot of people that said what happened wasn't a hockey move and that that person needs to be held responsible a tragic event and you know intentional or not this guy did take someone's life and we'll see what happens with us it's sad all around um 
cool thing in, I guess, overseas still, the NHL had their global series going down in the Avicii Arena in Stockholm, Sweden. It had the Red Wings, Minnesota Wild, Ottawa Senators, and Maple Leafs. Started off with a bang when the Senators would jump out to a quick 3-0 lead, only to have the Red Wings come right back. Also, Ottawa would get a goal in that period as well to keep it tied. It would go to OT where the Sens would win. And you have the Maple Leafs being the Red Wings the following the game. Ottawa would follow that game up with a shootout victory over the Wild before the Maple Leafs would wrap up the series with a 4-3 overtime win over the Wild. William Nylander scored the winner in that one, and he's extended his, his opening season opening point streak to 17 games in the process. What a way to start the year. You can't blame him for anything. And there was still hockey going on in North America as well. You know, out east, the Bruins and Rangers are still looking like the two best teams. Panthers have been on a good run of late, as well as the Maple Leafs and Senators, who have been in Sweden. And look out for Ren City's Flyers here, Philadelphia. They played some great hockey as late, beating the Gold Knights in OT before beating the Blue Jackets. They're up to five in a row now, guys. Look out. Capitals have been playing pretty hot as well, winning four in a row. Out west, the Gold Knights still have the most points there, even after suffering five losses in their last seven games, most recently of the Penguins. The Vancouver Canucks have dropped two in a row, which has opened the door for the Kings to catch them a bit in the division. And then the Central, you have the Jets winning three in a row to be right in the thick of things with the Dallas Stars and Colorado Avalanche. Number one overall pick, Connor Bedard, starting to come into his own a bit. He's leading rookies in goals and points. And even though his Blackhawks are struggling, they're kind of near the basement of the Western Conference. But it's kind of what you expected. When you're getting the number one pick, you're not exactly a good team. But they'll develop. Um, the scoring leaders kind of change around a bit. Austin, Austin Matthews still leads the league in goals. He's just sharing that lead with Kyle Connor of the Winnipeg Jets. Peterson of the Canucks still leads in points. He's at 28. And he just shares that lead with his teammates, Quinn Hughes and JT Miller. So Canucks putting up big numbers. Boston's Jeremy Swayman. He continues to lead the league in goals against average and save percentage. So... Pretty exciting stuff in hockey. Um, in footy, the big leagues didn't have any of their fixtures. You know, there was international stuff going on, but still big news in the Premier League. A point deduction dropped down on Everton. Largest sanction in the Premier League's 31-year history. This punishment was given to Everton after it was said they were breaching the competition's financial rules. This 10-point penalty drops in the 19th place, even on points with last place Burnley, threatening their 70-year status in the top division. This is big news, and it makes you wonder, what about Man City and Chelsea? More notably, Man City. They've been, there's been lots of rumors and talks of their financial breaches, and nothing's happened to them. So I, I don't know what kind of fairness is being applied to the teams being fair, if that makes sense. I don't know. To be fair, I find this very interesting, and I don't know what's going to happen with Man City and Chelsea, but... Tough on Everton, you know. Why are they kicking Everton? You go after the big guys. But anyway, other news in the Premier League, you had uh, Richard Arnold deciding to step down. He was Manchester United's chief executive. He's been with the club for 16 years. We'll see what kind of impact that has on the field. And like I said, no no big league matches here for international break, for qualifiers, friendlies, however you know, what, I, what have you. There's some big results. Slovakia punched their ticket to the Euros with their win over Iceland. Hungary were able to qualify with a draw. Romania booked their spot. Netherlands beat Ireland to secure their spot. And Switzerland clinched their spot with a draw. Wales really hurt their chances with their draw against Armenia. That was when they were expecting the win, so that draw might hurt their chances of making Euros. Finland beat Northern Ireland. Denmark clinched their spot with a big win over Slovenia. Serbia punched their ticket. England beat Malta 2-0. That's why I'm wearing the England kit. England! But, yeah, it was not a convincing win by any means. They were ranked so much higher than Malta, and the fact they only beat them 2-0, not a good look. The literal biggest win of the Euro qualifiers was France beating Gibraltar 14-0. Kylian Mbappe had a hat-trick, while nine other players scored for France. Although, after the game, Mbappe cheekily pointed out that there were 10 other goal scorers, as Gibraltar had an own goal, too. So... 
really sticking it to Gibraltar while they're down. <laughs> there are some World Cup qualifiers going on. You had Uruguay giving Argentina their first loss since Argentina hosted the World Cup trophy. Colombia had a big 2-1 win over Brazil. It was an emotional comeback as they were down and came all the way back to win with Luis Diaz scoring both goals in Colombia. Like, in front of his father here, who was just released by the National Liberation Army after these terrorists kidnapped his dad. And, oh, big. So, he got to watch his son score both the goals and a big win over Brazil. Another big game, Brazil and Argentina on Tuesday. Look out for that one. Uh, Canada went to Jamaica for this first leg of the CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinal match. And... Early on, Jamaica should have put us away. A lot of chances that would go missed. Canada would go ahead when Jonathan David would score, but Jamaica would equalize when Canada fell asleep on a free kick and Shamar Nicholson had an easy shot. Then the 85th minute, Porto's Steven Eustachio would score, putting Canada up 2-1, giving them the win. First win in Jamaica in 35 years. Uh, on Tuesday, November 21st, big game for Canada because they have that 2-1 lead on aggregate. They need to win at home to advance in the Nations League and to try to qualify for Copa America as they've opened their doors to a bigger tournament involving North America and Central America teams. And a big surprise in the Nations League is Honduras was hosting Mexico and beat them 2-0. So now Mexico needs a great second leg to stay alive. So, yeah, a lot of big games going down Monday and Tuesday before returning to the domestic leagues again. There were, like, some smaller leagues going on. So, like, in England, they had Leagues 1 and 2 playing, and Wrexham played. They'd go on the road, and it would not go well. They'd lose 2-0 to Accrington Stanley. There was a bit of controversy before the game as Accrington Stanley raised ticket prices by 5 quid to help pay for, you know, extra seating and security for the Wrexham fans coming in. The Wrexham media page responded by saying, you know what, we're going to lower our tickets five quid for the game when you guys come to visit. Some real shithousery kind of backfired for Wrexham as they lost. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens when the game returns to the race course later in the season. But, yeah, also, Welcome to Wrexham Season 2 is finally available on Disney+. Plus. So watch that if you guys are interested. Going to college football, there are some big surprises. Arizona crushed Utah. Undefeated James Madison at all the hype, the college game day people there, and they'd only lose to their fir- their first game of the season, losing to Appalachian State in overtime. You had Clemson beating UNC, Louisville beating Miami, Missouri running a tight one over Florida, Kansas State beat Kansas, and Georgia took care of Can- Tennessee. Alabama crushed Chattanooga, and Oklahoma won a tight one over Brigham Young. Florida State kept their undefeated season going, but... Lost quarterback Jordan Travis to a gross injury. When you get hit, then you lift it, and it's like dangling. Not a good look. It was put in an air cast. He'll he'll be done for the year. He's already a seminal legend, and hopefully he can come back, and we'll see if he can have a career going forward in the NFL or something. But the best game of the weekend was Washington staying undefeated, beating the Beavers of Oregon State. Caleb Williams, his UST team, suffered their fifth loss of the season, losing to UCLA. In Colorado, man, losing again, getting blown out by Washington State. Deion Sanders said this may be the toughest stretch of his life. The Buffaloes have been better than last year's disastrous team, and they only had one win, so they are looking better, but, yeah, not not the ending of the year he was hoping for here. The only pick I got right last week was Georgia, and that was the easiest pick of the bunch. Coming in the next week, there's some big games. Oregon State, Oregon, Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama and Auburn, uh, Arizona, Arizona State. And the biggest one in the the Big Ten, Ohio State and Michigan. Remember, no Jim Harbaugh on the sideline because of that suspension. But this is the one they circle every year. This is the big game with, you know, national championship implications on the line. Um, I'm hoping my picks bounce back here. In these games, I'm taking Oregon, LSU, Alabama. Arizona and Michigan college basketball. I got my NBA podcast. If you guys need your NBA news, hop onto that one. Super in depth, getting a lot of good feedback on that one. But in this one, we got to talk college hoops as well. College is back and it's looking good. Kansas won a close one over Kentucky. Marquette beat Illinois. Duke won a big one over Michigan State. It was kind of a shocker with UNC Greensboro beating Arkansas. Last year's champions, UConn, beat up on Indiana to go to the final of their tournament where they'll meet Texas. Texas came back late to beat Louisville. Louisville was like, hey, we got this upset. 
Instead, they got heartbreak. Miami State undefeated with a win over Kansas State. Looking at the rankings, they're obviously all undefeated, but you got Kansas, Purdue, Arizona, Marquette, and UConn. The women's game, you had some shockers. Kansas State upset Iowa. You never expect Caitlin Clark to lose this early in the season, but that's been the parody of the season with LSU and UConn losing earlier on in the season. Both of those teams bounce back with some wins. It's been odd not to see Angel Reese on the floor for LSU. There's rumors coming out that her grades might not be up to snuff, but I don't know. There's all rumors. She went online and said, don't believe everything you hear. Hopefully she can get it back on the floor. She's one of the most recognizable faces in college. So hopefully she can get on the floor and help LSU there. Green Bay shot Creighton in a match earlier this week, but the Blue Jays are bounced back and it went over Nebraska. Colorado, the Buffaloes have looked really good. They're still undefeated. Ole Miss went down early to Arizona, but stormed back for a big win for them. Duke and Stanford, man, what a game that was on Sunday. Duke had a dreadful first quarter, but managed to put themselves in position the win. We'd go to overtime and Stanford would prevail. Stanford star Cameron Brink, she balled out. Career high, 29 points. She had 11 boards, 6 blocks. Most impressive, I think. She's had 72 free throws in a row, including some the force OT and some in OT to win the game. Carol Austin's Deuce team looks really good this year and I think they had a chance there. They thought they could get it, but Stanford remained undefeated. On the women's side, you know, you had a bit of movement, but you have South Carolina, Iowa, UCLA, Utah, and Colorado. Somebody questioned, how is Iowa and Utah in the top five, considering they've each lost a game? But, hey, I don't do those rankings. I just just call them as I see them, you know. They, they show me them, and I tell you all about them. <laughs> but exciting basketball in college, so tune in if you haven't. I know there's lots going on, but. MLB, I know the baseball season's still far away, but there's been news coming out. The owners have voted to allow the Oakland Athletics to move to Las Vegas. You know, we've seen the, the footage and the pictures of how empty the Oakland games are, actually are. So this move is pretty big. As you know, the Vegas seems to sell their stadiums out. And uh, this, the most recent location was the Montreal Expo is moving to the Washington Nationals. So... I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's got to be tough for Oakland. They just lost the Raiders to Las Vegas. Golden State, they left Oakland for their new stadium in San Francisco. And now this, you know, it's tough, I guess. Oof, poor Oakland. Um, but there were some other news in baseball. We announced the Rookies of the Year that came out on the last podcast. Baltimore's Gunnar Henderson and Arizona's Corbin Carroll. Now we have the Managers of the Year. Baltimore, another trophy going their way. Manager Bryden Hyde take that. Skip Shoemaker for the Marlins taking it in the National League. The Cy Youngs were pretty easy to call. The Yankees' Garrett Cole taking it for the American League, his first Cy Young. And then the National League, the Padres' Blake Snell taking the second of his career. So, yeah, pretty pretty straightforward there. Not a lot of arguments. For the MVPs, two unanimous winners. That doesn't happen often. The American League, you got uh, Los Angeles Angels unicorn Shohei Otani. I'm the first player to win the MVP unanimously twice. In the National League, the Atlanta Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. won MVP unanimously as well. So congrats to those guys on some nice uh, nice hardware for the trophy case. Big offseason re-signing. The Philadelphia Phillies re-signed Aaron Nola. The right-handed pitcher is getting a seven-year, $172 million deal. So congrats to him. Well, that's a pretty wild sports week. Like I said a few times in this podcast, I do have an NBA show I do once a week where we recap each team and their division and what happens in the NBA. But, man, there's been some good stuff in the sports week this week. And look out, we do have Premier League, all our other European leagues returning next week. And we have the MLS semifinals, or quarterfinals, I guess, conference semifinals. So lots of good stuff coming up this week. But uh, this all leads us into the short. And for this episode, short, I was wondering, which direction do I go? Like, I mean, I was watching Canada play in Jamaica, and then that kind of came to me. You know, the story doesn't involve me, but it involves one of the coolest storytellers ever, my dad. And he told me the story all the time. I even thought, you know what, I'll check in with mom before I tell this story. She's like, yeah, of course. So basically, my parents, they went on a trip with some friends back in the day, 70s, whenever this was, to Jamaica. 
And their one friend, who they all called Mumbles, which is a cool nickname, by the way, he had a different mission on this trip, right? They're all down in Jamaica having a good time, but he was looking to pick something up to bring back. <laughs> if you catch one laying down. So, like, my dad went with him to make sure things were okay. So they'd hop into a little car. Dad's a big guy. Him and his buddy and, like, three huge Jamaican dudes hop in a little car. Heading out to the middle of nowhere, up this, like, little hill, this little, like my dad said, the middle of nowhere. And they're like, okay, they're looking at the product Mumbles was wanting to pick up. And I'm like, okay, okay, this looks pretty good. Stuff looks good. My dad's like, all right, things are going well. And then they're, like, negotiating the price. And then Mumbles starts arguing with the guy, like, fuck this. I'm not paying this. And, like, my dad's like, what are you, what are you doing? We're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> we we're strangers with drug dealers in this foreign country and now we're arguing with them like i what are you doing so i guess it finally got sorted out the situation was diffused they'd get their gear they'd head off and uh one thing i found interesting like my dad told these stories was they didn't have zigzags in jamaica so they used like coin rollers which cannot be very good on your lungs, man. I know what it's like if you haven't cleaned the bong in a few days, but to, like, smoke a, like, coin roller. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But, uh, yeah, they do what they got to do. They get, they'd enjoy the rest of their trip. The time was coming to head home. So how are you going to get this home? So the process was, I guess, you take the green and the oil, whatever, you stuff them in condoms and swallow them, right? Pretty good process. You've heard how it goes. But I guess, like, in this process and swallowing them, a lot of the oil got stuck on the outside of the condoms. So, like, when he ingested it, he was, like, pretty fucked up from all this oil. So everybody was, like, grouping together to help bring him on because he was, like, a tranked horse trying to drag onto this plane, <laughs> drooling here and there, you know, helping with his dinner tray and whatnot. But yeah, I guess the whole thing worked. It didn't get caught or anything, I guess. And I think it's safe to tell the story. I mean, like, they're all past now. So, uh, yeah, I got home. I guess what you do is you, you shit them into a bathtub, right? Got a nice rinse there. And I guess all the product was good. He survived. The product survived. I guess everything that led after paid for the entire trip. So, I mean, that's a win. <laughs> but, wow, I just, yeah, my dad just explaining, like, them arguing with these people in the middle of nowhere. And then how, like, lethargic he was getting, like, Mumbles was on the plane. It's just crazy story, you know? It's one that I always think about now and that my dad told me a hundred times that, you know, like, you know, I wish I could hear that story one more time. But glad I was able to share it with you guys. It was, it was something else, but... Yeah, that's that's it, guys. This is episode 37 in the books. Another exciting week of sport. Like I said, we got some good stuff to look forward to. Your man, Ren City, does not have COVID. Holla at your boy. I got a new lease on life. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys. Episode 37 in the books. Another great one. Take care, everybody. Ren City out.